What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Paley Fest LA is back. For the first time in three years, the event will be held in person. From Saturday, April 2nd to Sunday, April 10th, the hottest names in TV and streaming will be sharing exclusive content from behind-the-scenes conversations to special preview footage at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles. Not to mention, there will be interactive Q&A sessions allowing attendees to participate in the fun. Here's this year's lineup with special attention given to the CW panels, because after all, you're listening to the CW Spiral. First up is This Is Us on Saturday, April 2nd, at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. And on Sunday, April 3rd, at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, we have the Superman at Lois panel, featuring a special preview screening selected for the event and a conversation and Q&A with Todd Helbing, creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the show, Tyler Hecklin, who plays Clark Kent slash Superman, Elizabeth Tullock, who plays Lois Lane, Jordan Elsass, who plays Jonathan Kent, Alex Garfin, who plays Jordan Kent, Eric Valdez, who plays Kyle Cushing, Indy Navarrete, who plays Sarah Cushing, Bole Parks, who plays John Henry Irons, aka Steele, and Adam Rayner, who plays Morgan Edge slash Talro. Then at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Blackish will have their panel, and that'll end that weekend's events. And then Paley Fest LA will return on Wednesday, April 6th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time for a combined Ghost and a Neighborhood panel. And on Thursday, April 7th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, PAX will have their panel. And on Friday, April 8th, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time will be Cobra Kai. Saturday, April 9th will be Riverdale's panel at 2 p.m. And the Riverdale panel will feature a special TV screening selected for this event by the producers, followed by a conversation in Q&A with Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, the showrunner executive producer, KJ Appa, Cole Sprouse, Lily Reinhardt, Camila Mendez, Madeleine Petch, and additional guests will also be announced. Also, 7 p.m. Pacific time that night, Better Call Saul will have their panel. And then the Paley Fest event will be closed out on Sunday, April 10th. Starting at 2 p.m., there will be a salute to the NCIS universe celebrating NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, and NCIS Hawaii. And at 7 p.m. Pacific time, Emily in Paris will shine, ending the event for everyone. Emily in Paris. Uh, Please note the events and participants are subject to change and talent will appear according to their schedules, whether it's permitting. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to paleyfest.org. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Y'all, we got renewal news. I'm very excited to be talking about it. But first, as always, we have to get through the casting news because that seems to be how the CW is staying on everybody's radar. And first up is Walker Independence. Uh, Katie Finlay has been announced as playing Kate, who is a burlesque dancer, who is also a federal agent, undercover in Independence, Texas. And it seems that she might be keeping a very observant eye on Sheriff Tom Davidson. 
just feels right to kick it off with Walker Independence as always. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It really does. I'm excited for her. She's been in the Carrie Diaries, How to Get Away with Murder, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and also Nancy Drew. So she's a familiar face on the CW. And it's exciting that she's going to be a series regular. And this character sounds interesting. That's exactly what I was going to say. (laughs) That's quite an unusual uh, character description. Um, I feel like she could be a wild card or turns the show upside down. And maybe it kind of needs that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she adds to it. I'm expecting a lovely, lovely scene in the saloon with like a can-can, but also she's sneaking behind like the the curtain to check out this man. Like, is he who we're here for? Are we going to round up the sheriff? Fingers crossed, yes. But you know, gotta <laughs> wait until the pilot drops. Um, speaking of news though, the Winchesters also got some very exciting news. Like, I mean, we got our leads, you guys. They're finally here. We don't have to worry about this show anymore, I guess. I don't know. Um, time will tell. But Drake Roger has been cast as John Winchester, who's returned from Vietnam. He's described as being selfless and clear-headed, and he's home with a new mission um, based on like what he found out about his father's past, which leads him to um, the Hunters, and now a whole new war to fight. Also, Mick Donnelly. I know. Wow. Wow. (laughs) It's just like so much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's packed. It's packed with so much like character stuff more than I'm used to. Um, But he's not actually who I'm here for. Sorry, John or Drake. My bad. Um, I'm here for Meg Donnelly because the Disney girls are eating on the CW. Um, And if the name sounds familiar, that's because she was on Zombies. But anyway, she's going to play Mary Campbell, who's 19. And she's been fighting against the forces of darkness since she was a child. And it's starting to take its toll because she lost someone who was close to her. But she can't leave the organization because now her father has disappeared and John has shown up. And so now she's got to lead a whole new team. There is no rest for Mary Campbell at all. Now I'm I'm just so happy the Winchesters have found their Winchesters. Um, I feel like uh, both of them are quite, uh, there's a lot going on in those casting descriptions. And I think from what we can tell about from the Supernatural fandom, they'll be happy to hear that. I'm sure like us, they'll also be happy to hear that they've just found their leads because the show felt like it wasn't coming together while the rest of them were. But I have to say, it sounds more interesting than it was. And I'm slight, my interest is peaked. I don't know why I might check it out now based on that. Yeah, and they're skewing younger. I, I For some mm-hmm. reason in my head, I pictured like, I don't know, like 30 somethings, like, parents that's in my mind parents are older (laughs) but like they're skewing younger and it seems more like I'm more invested in this now I know I've been kind of like lukewarm on this show but I don't know the casting just got me really excited I felt the same um when the casting news dropped I was like oh young adult supernatural drama that's not where I thought we were going not that I'm like it did intrigue me more. Like, so it's not as if suddenly any interest is completely gone. Actually, there's more interest. Um, there's still a number three on the list for the pilots for me, um, but they're no longer this like this little horse in the race. I feel like we're, we're closer to being on par with Walker Independence. Yeah. I also have heard some rumblings about just speaking about the character descriptions that it's going like out of like the story canon that's set up by Supernatural. So it'll be um, interesting to see how the fans react to this show and how the the prequel incorporates the original. 
That's true. I've got my popcorn ready for some <laughs> online drama. Like, cause I know nothing. I'm going in blind to the Winchesters. So for me, it's like, if they mess up canon, I would have no idea. I'm just going to listen true. to the yeah, veterans. True. And then Gotham Knights, who's our number one on the list. They got another casting and it's a big casting. It's kind of like, it goes hand in hand with this Winchester news since uh, Misha Collins has been tapped to play Harvey Dent, uh, AKA Two-Faced who I guess is going to be Duella's father if we're going to go off of the comics, but he's described as the most dangerous man in Gotham. You know, that's the one I'm most excited for. And I feel like I didn't even need to say that because you probably already knew that. Um, that's a great casting. It's not one I pictured. It's not one I thought of, but when I seen it, I was like, my God, that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he adds to the character because Misha is just great. And I, if Two-Face or Harvey Dent, whichever version they go for, is a regular on the show, I think that could like breathe another layer of life into it. Because we did have talked in previous weeks about how Batman stuff's always on the CW is always a bit worry of adding main Batman characters. And then you saw like how a character like Poison Ivy breathed life into Batwoman season three. So like the fact that we're going for these mainstream Batman characters is quite exciting. And I did read somewhere, I'm not sure if that's accurate, that we may actually see Harvey Dent turn into Two-Face on the show and it would be really cool to see that dramatized in the series considering Harvey Dent's supposed to have come Two-Face during Batman's tenure so it would be really cool to see it happen on screen with all these young heroes that have to deal with it instead it, Gotham Knights seems like such a wild card of a show and it continues to surprise me and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the whole Harvey Dent thing adds to it, particularly now that we have uh, the character Duella, who is her father. Will that be the storyline that leads us throughout the season? I'm really looking forward to it. I am too. And you just made me even more excited because I didn't know that there were rumblings about um, him turning into Harvey, not Harvey Dent, turning into Two-Face mm -hmm. on the show. That'd be so exciting to see that transformation, especially given the dichotomy of who Harvey Dent is supposed to be to Gotham and then who he becomes because of whatever the show decides how he becomes Two-Face. But like, I'm intrigued for this origin story. I am going to manifest a little thing. And I know it's a rumor. I know that no one has said that Jensen is, do, is becoming um, Bruce Wayne. And yet it's exactly what I want. So, and he has a DC project that's under wraps and it would make sense to me if the Bruce Wayne role is the thing that he's keeping under wraps until they can finally announce it um, that they're going forward with Gotham Knights. I could be entirely wrong. I hope I'm not. I really want to see Jensen as Batman, but like fingers crossed, prayers forward. That's what my hope is. Wouldn't that be funny, a Supernatural reunion on a different show when they're doing a Supernatural prequel? <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is the one we'd all be talking about. Yes, it would be. Oh my God, I feel like then we'd have to, I mean, we're signed on to all of them, but now I feel like being way like, interested in the Winchesters and in Gotham Knights and Walker Independence would be that cute little thing to the side that we're all like given a chance. <laughs> Keeping an well, open mind. Yeah, we'll let yes. her grow. We'll see what she does. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I did see a tweet from um, Philemon Chambers, though, who's playing de the deputy sheriff, Augustus. Apparently, they are in Santa Fe right now, shooting. And yeah. it is hard. <laughs> it is hard out here in the desert. Um, so I'll, I'm excited to see uh, the hard work that they are producing in the show thus far. It's all coming together for our pilots. Yes. Oh my God. So excited. But the most exciting thing is renewals. 
but it's like renewals part one because the yeah. CW is only <laughs> sit, like, sitting on some of them. Yeah, they're they're acting out this year. They are. I don't appreciate it. No. It kind of feels like one of them, like, in years from now, they'll say, where were you when this happened? And with the whole, like, <laughs> uncertainty around the whole, like, the CW sale, no one knew whether the shows would get renewed. I mean, we kind of predicted they would get renewed or there'd be at least some form of a future for the network. But, like, everybody's been wondering what's the future of each of the shows look like. And then after missing their slot, their early renewal slot that they send out every year, they randomly just drop one night during the week. And like nobody kind of anticipated it because we were kind of now waiting like, oh, they, well, if they missed that slot, we'll see it at uh, Upfront. Um, and Upfront is still a while away. So to get the, to miss the early renewal slots and still go down the early renewals uh, channel, it was quite a shock, particularly with the ones they've chosen. Um, and we'll get into that. But like some of them were dead certs, but another one or two might have been a, a slightly surprising choice for some fandoms. But it's definitely a different approach they've taken this year. For sure. For sure. I mean, the, the ones that were definitely certain, like we were like, well, oh, not surprising. Like All Americans getting a season five, The Flash is getting a season nine. Out of all the CW shows, everyone knew The Flash was um, coming back. They were quite loud about Grant Gustin negotiating his contract for season um, nine. Superman Lois for season three. Again, not surprising. Nor Walker's no. not Kung Fu season three. Riverdale season seven might be surprising to some some people, but that is because they count this show out. Like it doesn't matter what the ratings are, okay? It's Riverdale. <laughs> um, but what was surprising, and I'm very excited for for the Drew crew, Nancy Drew got a season four. Isn't that amazing? When the first list first came out, we were like, okay, one of these things isn't quite like the others, because the others were definitely locks. And Nancy Drew had like a huge fan campaign behind it for season four. So it's one of the shows that could have gone either way. And to see it in this particular group, I feel like that says a lot about the show. Unless the CW is like, we're going to do it anyway. Let's just give it to them now. (laughs) (laughs) I think think it does say a lot about what Nancy Drew brings to the CW. Um, I think it's when the news was dropped, Mark Padowitz, the CEO, was talking about how these shows were basically tentpoles for the CW. They do well um, for the network, especially when they're with their digital strategy and they're constantly getting buzzed. They're constantly being talked about on social media. So, and Nancy Ju has been a part of that conversation. Like you said, Reed, the huge, loud campaign for yeah. renewal. <laughs> I'm very happy for them because usually when you see like, there's this like one of the smaller shows with such like, passionate core fan base and uh, when it comes to renewal times a lot of the times you'll see with the other networks that's sadly not enough so I'm sure a lot of people wrote Nancy Drew off or said if the CW wasn't going to go ahead with any show that might have been one that was more dangerous so it's really nice to see because I know there were rumors that it wouldn't be it would be one of the ones that didn't get taken ahead so it's really nice to see that their hard work paid off there, there is clearly a fan base for this show they showed up and like it paid off in the end because I seen the reaction on Twitter afterwards you're like oh hold on a minute there are a lot of fans for this show so I'm glad their hard work paid off for them it does make me wonder though like why this bubble show why did this mm-hmm. bubble show get renewed in this first group when there are so many others it's just kind of confusing to me not necessarily in a bad way because just because they haven't been renewed yet doesn't mean they're all canceled obviously because there's still what like 12 shows that they haven't announced but 
there are so many other bubble shows that some might believe are more popular than Nancy Drew on any kind of metric, whether it's social media, viewership, otherwise. I'm still just curious as to like what went into the decision specifically for Nancy Drew to go through this round. <laughs> no, ha- no hate to it, but mm-hmm. it's just like kind of like, okay, where are we at? It might have to do with the spinoff. Um, cause Tom Swift is coming again. We don't know when Tom Swift is coming. I mean, I know it's still early in 2022, um, but I just feel like we should know whether or not it's supposed to come in the fall of this year. Yeah. Uh, like I just, I mean, there's, there's been casting news and we, we talked about it, but other than that, it's been a little quiet on the Tom Swift front, but I'm assuming, um, part of the renewal was because they knew that they were dropping a Nancy Drew spinoff at some point. Um, and you can't have the original show off air uh, to cancel it and then still want to drop your spinoff series if you haven't already alienated that fan base. But also, Nancy True might be popping more on streaming than people realize, even if true. they don't seem to be have like they do have a loud fan base. Um, but and but there might be like louder fandoms. But Nancy Drew might have just the, the ratings going for them. I don't, I feel like, but the Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow fans that would be like, girl, please, they're not louder than us. Yeah, I that's what so. I'm saying. Like, I'm surprised out of the shows that didn't get renewed, I'm surprised probably the most that Batwoman wasn't included. And I know the fans are kind of worried about it. I'm, as someone who doesn't watch the show, I'm not particularly, I don't see it going anywhere. <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem like the kind of show that they would cut ties with so soon yeah it's that's quite, why i don't think to i don't want to be nervous about them mm, yeah and it's quite interesting because i think the thing that makes people most nervous is because usually when the cw drops its batch of early renewals the arrow versus together as a batch so the fact that they've split them up this year so superman at lois and the Fla- flash were the two that instantly got renewals and then legends and batwoman and ever since legends of tomorrow has been on the air it has been part of that early renewals deal. Literally, it's been one of the Arrowverse shows that's always got renewed. And I don't know whether it's just because the Arrowverse has kind of gotten more diversified as it's gone on because those shows aren't all interconnected as much anymore, or whether it's down to the fact that the, maybe the network going for a new look, or maybe it's the new bat- potential buyer has a say in it. Maybe when, the, when they, they only had so many early renewals to announce and they didn't want to stick it with the same genre because there are a lot of Arrowverse shows. And if you're a new seven of your shows, four of them are automatically superhero shows. Maybe they didn't want to do that. Maybe they're clearing the decks for the future superhero shows. I still don't see them canceling mainstay shows like those without giving them final seasons. It doesn't feel right to me, especially when both seasons set up new stories. It would be kind of disrespectful if I'm honest. And I feel like Batwoman and Legends have both been around for long enough. Legends in particular, to warrant getting to finish their story. These characters are too important to the CW and the Arrowverse just to cut them off because they're making way for new shows. And I don't care if it's a new era and I don't mean to get mean or like uh, vocal about that, but like these shows have core audiences. These shows have core fan bases. And the fact is they brought in a lot of eyeballs to the network over the years. The very least the network could do in return is give them that chance to bow out and grace that they deserve. So I'm not saying they won't get that. They absolutely deserve that. I'm just using this platform to say why they should. Pop off, Michael, pop off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, okay, so the argument being made is that the shows that have been renewed thus far are their strongest, they feel, mm-hmm. um, for the network in terms of maybe not live viewership, but um, streaming 
and digital, then I would think that the next tier would be the shows that are steady for them. They, they know that they'll be fine. They know that they're solid. They have a solid fan base that the, the fans tune in um, regularly and they're not going anywhere. But perhaps let's not wait till upfronts mm-hmm. <laughs> to let everyone know that those ones are safe. Yeah, I can't wait more than a month. Like that's, no, I can't do it. Tell me about Dynasty now. You can wait for the rest. <laughs> I don't care. Tell me what's happening with Dynasty. <laughs> oh my God. So that, that brings the question though. Do we think there, like, have we changed any opinions on whether or not there'll be cancellations or are we still on the, it'll be 4,400 4, if anything is canceled and everything else will be safe for final season? I don't know. It is kind of curious that they didn't announce any cancellations and they didn't announce final seasons. I think we could be getting some final season announcements later at some point. I mean, it's inevitable. Um, I do think, I don't know. I don't, remember what, I don't remember what I said about In the Dark, but I definitely think this current season of In the Dark could be the last. I don't see it going to season five. So that might be my only change. Yeah, I was going to say in uh, 4,400 seems like a dead cert. And this is coming from me who likes to think positively. Like not every network show is going to make it in this unused certain era of the network, I don't think. But it's also on the other end of the spectrum for fans who are worried about any show. It's important to remember that they were just early renewals. We see it every year. Yes, it's different this year because the Arrowverse shows have been split up and because the CW's future is uncertain. But they're still only early renewals. The network is not going to cancel all other of its shows. So to make way for new ones, that would be a terrible idea in a brand new era that the best thing you can rely on is, is, is hits and steadiness. And that's what a lot of the shows that have yet to be renewed have. Some will be coming back. And the thing is, we've talked about how the Dynasty has the international deal working in its favor. We've talked about how Batwoman at Legends are some of the more popular shows worldwide as well. Um, and the fact is they have steady numbers on the night. So there are a lot, there is a lot working against a lot of shows, but the vast majority of, ha- of them have a lot working for them. Unfortunately, like we said, it seems that In the Dark's the only one that really has very few pros at this stage and a lot more cons. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not worried then about anything. I think because the, the, the question people, I believe, have is that, so these are the shows that were renewed, but ratings isn't going, coming into some of those shows. Obviously, I'm looking at Riverdale. But um, as... But for the other shows, then it makes you wonder, do those ratings matter? Will ratings start to matter the more shows are renewed and others are, are still, we're still sitting on the bubble and we're waiting to see whether or not they'll get canceled or final seasoned? Yeah, it's confusing because we know that ratings aren't the only deciding factor, but with this, with these renewals and also the sale and all the unanswered questions, like has that bar the low bar for ratings, did they move it? Like, does it matter less? Does it matter more for ratings? Because I think the one thing that Riverdale has going for it is it's a veteran show and it probably makes them money in streaming or whatever. I don't want to conjecture that. I don't know if that's true, but it's a veteran show. So I feel like it's an easy renewal no matter if few people are watching it. But it's confusing to me to think about ratings right especially at a Mm -hmm. time like this because like we don't know what what particularly they're thinking or what they're looking for for long term 
Yeah, no, I agree. It's weird to be a fan of a CW show and worrying about ratings. And like beyond like the fans, of course, telling each other why the show is tanking. Um, like the as far as rate like as a not a casual fan because I would like these shows, but as someone who has generally not cared about ratings because the CW does renew their television shows, I'm like, um, mm, should we start caring? And if we <laughs> do start caring, like, what is the bar? Do you have to get above four hundred fifty thousand um, in order to feel safe if you are not a veteran show, or do you at least have to clear three hundred thousand? Like, what is what? I want to know what the bar is now. Yeah. It seems like it moved. Who knows? Yeah, it, 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 it kind of feels like the old days of like 2012 when like shows like The Secret Circle or Ringer that got like, if you look at the ratings or the viewership they got now compared to the, what the shows get like to, in these, this day and age, it's shocking to think they were cancelled with those, but it was more competitive back then as far as television ratings go. Now the network knows what it's, bread and butter is it knows where it makes its money and it knows which shows bring in the audiences even if that audience is much less smaller than or much smaller than it was back in the day so it's just it's very unusual to talk about ratings on the cw in 2022 i know a lot of people bring up nobody watches his network but people do watch his network and more importantly people watch the shows worldwide there could be a, there are tons of procedurals on abc and fox that get like seven eight million viewers but you ask someone outside of the states what that show is that nobody's heard of it heard of it there's a vast va, or a high it's highly likely the vast majority of people have heard of shows like the flash riverdale batwoman so even these smaller shows that are in jeopardy feel like they've got a lot more going for them than the average well-performing show on a different network. That to me is why I cannot see them being canceled without, without any kind of final season. It just doesn't make sense to me. Same. But if you are a fan and you are worried about your show, I would suggest getting on board the hashtag renewal um, mm. train. If uh, convince people to watch the show either on the CWTV.com, the CW app, or if it's already on streaming on Netflix or HBO Max, it looks like that's going to make a difference if your show is on the bubble or just simply has not been renewed yet. So get those uh, eyes on the show and <laughs> it, it should help. Uh, speaking of getting eyes on the show, I'm going to just jump on over to what we're watching. If you are not watching All-American Homecoming, you need to be watching all-American Homecoming. I mean, it's so, I, I'm, no, it's not straight to you, Reed. I know I, you have watched at least two episodes. I know you're on the train. yelling at me. I'm, both, I'm so behind. <laughs> you do need to catch up though. It's so good. Um, which, I mean, I can't really talk because if we were talking about Dynasty, I'm like on episode four, but Fallon is still my girl. I just feel like All-American Homecoming gives a different bit of flavor to the CW because it's a college drama for one and then for two it's it's very character oriented and i feel like a lot of the shows it's plot first mm -hmm. character second mm -hmm. so all american homecoming airs mondays at 9 p.m after all american you can watch it on cw tv or the cw app i am going to plug this all, all the time because i want it to be <laughs> renewed like, so if you hear somebody like yelling about All-American Homecoming, it's probably me. I will catch up and give them the streaming numbers that they need to be renewed. I promise. Yay. <laughs> yes, yes, I will tell you. It's what they deserve. It is what they deserve. More All-American Homecoming for everybody. But moving on to Superman and Lois, a show that all three of us watch. 
and is so packed full of drama. And apparently this this episode, I would say sci-fi horror horror. Mm. I wasn't I wasn't ready for the sci-fi horror. It was excellent though. That was one of the most unusual sequences when they were all like floating towards the hole I have ever seen in, in my life. And I have watched all of these shows. I've seen every single episode of all of these shows. And that was like, you write something out of a sci-fi horror. Um, and it, we think it was designed in a way to make you not know what was going on here. Because I was like, is this like badly designed? I, I can't follow this. And then afterwards you realize, oh, no, wait, you weren't supposed to. The whole thing was quite terrifying even after it was over the, the after effects it left the characters with um the fact that even Ali Alston seemed surprised by it and she's never fazed by anything I have to say that kind of stayed with me afterwards I thought this show has taken such a dark turn and yet it deals with the character aftermath really really well it was that was a scene that stayed with me because seeing Superman not be able to save everyone and then see how that not only impacted him, but impacted the lens and that was Lucy involved in it. And then the twist that came at the end, excellently uh, executed. First of all, Allie Alston needs to get a job immediately. (laughs) Second of all, imagine my shock. Like I'm, I'm watching, I go on Twitter to check out, you know, the live tweets. I look up and they're like in full, like astronaut gear going into like this, thing and i was like what what are we doing like i can't even <laughs> pretend <laughs> to understand what happened in this episode <laughs> it was it was a lot i mean i will say though that whole i'm not call it a porter por, blah, blah. portal there's the word i'm looking for <laughs> like a, a portal sequence um it was just so what are, what are words? Because it just, it was a lot for me watching it. I guess it's because I didn't expect that type of sequence on the CW. Like a streaming show, sure. Um, but to have a whole horror moment for them um, involving something that just didn't, it fit. I will say it fit. I'm sorry. I'm lost for words because I'm still stuck on it. Like, I just don't know how my brain broke watching it <laughs> and my brain broke watching it because again i think one of the things that superman and lois does so well is that it is changing the framework of what you can do on a cw show but of course they have budget so they can do a lot more than a lot of the other shows can do they had that dumbledore ad break they got the the harry potter commercial money yes yeah, they did. so they did. <laughs> that budget's there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to agree. I went, when I just was describing the sequence there, I went over the same words over and over again because I feel like I'm not really sure how to describe it. I know I said it was intentionally designed to confuse us and like confound us and like WTH. And it's just, it's such a moment that you're right. You Like I said, I've seen every single episode of an Arrowverse show and I've never seen anything quite like that on it. It, it did feel like kind of Superman at Lois is ha- helping the CW graduate into a new genre, into a new like presentation of what is allowed, not just on network TV, but on the CW itself. It pushed boundaries. And I know the whole dark route isn't for everyone, but I think they really succeeded in what they attempted to do, which was confuse the heck out of us. They did. I, I like that you mentioned darkness, Michael, because I think the show does really well balancing its light moments 
and its dark moments. So you have this whole thing with Allie and her acolytes and them basically sacrificing themselves to this portal, thinking that they're going to like um, join with their shadow selves. But then you have Lana getting ready for her debate with, is that the mayor? I think it's the mayor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't care for that man. So I don't know mm-hmm. his name. Um, and she's in the kitchen with, she's in the, at the dining table with Kyle going over these questions and having a real emotional moment with her estranged husband, but also having to deal with the fact that it doesn't really matter that he's the one who strained their marriage. She's going to be the one on the platform and she's going to be the one who has to deal with these invasive questions and she can't avoid them because if she avoids them, it's seen as her hiding and she doesn't want to hide. Mm-hmm. No, I have to say this, this show's balance is incredible. And um, like um, when you watch the other shows, you, you, you absolutely adore the triumphant superhero moments. Even I've, I've spent my whole life loving those moments, but it was Superman at Lowe's is the one show I watched where I almost get frustrated if there aren't enough character moments in it either, because the like family drama, the like Lana for me is like the heart, they call her the heart of Smallville, but that makes her kind of the heart of the show as well. I could watch any storyline centered around her. The kind of like camaraderie she built up with Lois a few weeks ago, that scene they shared together was phenomenal. And I kind of felt the same about the scene she had with Kyle. I know there's history there and I know people have opinions on what he did and whether that needed to happen. But like the history between those two characters felt so real and authentic that the two of them shine whenever they're on screen with each other. And I hope we get to see a lot more of that going forward. I know that's their story and we will see them together. And I hope they resolve it in a way that uh, is loyal to both characters because I just love watching the two of them and that like plot device of him having to read her the questions that he was responsible for putting in the mayor's mouth, I thought was just genius. And it was an excellent sequence and a great, but dark episode, the family moments stand out. And that's what I love about the show. Do you know who's driving me crazy? Hey, Jonathan. I knew you were going to say that. That boy. (laughs) He's working at this, what is it? Like a gas station convenience store to to make money for his girlfriend. The the way he was describing the situation, I think it was to Jordan. He was like, she needs the money, her dad. I was like, dude, do you hear yourself? Like, come on what are we not what's not clicking <laughs> and then he gets into that altercation with the he was a drug the drug dealer guy mm-hmm. and jordan comes to save him i'm like you you can't it, it seems like he's like oh he told the guy he was like if you ever try anything again i'm gonna sick him on you or whatever he said and it's like are you gonna use your brother as a, an attack dog because that's not okay <laughs> jonathan's doing the most um but as far as his job though I- Lois is going to be upset when she finds out where that money is going because he is supposed to be working at that job because he needs to have structure. Like it was part of his punishment. Like you're not going, you can't go to school because you're going to be homeschooled via like via the school because you've been, he's not, I don't know how to describe, he's not been expelled, but he can't be on school property. So now he has to do online school through um, the town. So I, I don't know what's going on there. But as far as his attitude goes, I just feel like he's like, dad, don't look at me. And I'm like, Jonathan, you're still messing up though. Like <laughs> <laughs> you won't tell them why uh, you won't reveal the name of the person who gave you the drugs, who they know that you're protecting. And I think eventually when it does come out, Clark and Lois will understand. However, they're not going to care for that young lady. Um, Like for her safety, yes. For her relationship with their son, not at all. And I just feel like it's very young and stupid, which makes sense because he is young. 
and he's stupid. stupid. Yeah, he's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but and it, it works well for the show. I'm just like, please, can we get him past this moment though? Because it feels he's upset, but he's not upset enough to do something about his girlfriend's behavior and how yeah. it keeps bringing drama into his life. And it's interesting that you said they don't care. They won't care for her. I think that's an interesting choice of words because that's one part of the show that conflicts me and that I don't care for her either. And it's because I know this is very much Jonathan's story, but like he he's had like three thinly written love interests over the last what 25 episodes and none of well okay the, the middle one kind of had something to work with but then in between seasons she was just kind of pushed off to the side and this new girl was ushered in and I feel like yes there's bare bones of a solid story there but I just don't feel like she feels like she's at the heart of it I know it's Jonathan's story but I don't really get her because we haven't really been allowed to get her I mean maybe that's intention that's why I'm conflicted over it but I just feel like that's kind of a thin character and they haven't done anything to kind of like maximize who she is she only shows up when the plot requires her to and that's I know I know she's not supposed to be likable but I don't think that's doing her or the overall arc any kind of service here because if we don't care about her how can we understand Jonathan's passion to keep her keep 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 the status quo at the moment in effect when his parents don't even get it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because I, th- I think her name is Candace. Uh, we do know that her situation at home isn't great mm-hmm. and that if she were to be found out dealing drugs, that it would be a problem for her and her father. Like, But that little plot point isn't enough for me to, f- at least personally, for me to feel anything when the both of them said, I love you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, okay, well, we, I'm more interested in why y'all walking like in the dark on in the middle of the road, the middle of the was road. To happen. Cho- choices were made and none of them were good yes exactly <laughs> i do think it um it's funny that michael said it could be an intentional it would be an, a weird intentional choice to like not flesh her out totally because then i guess we as the audience see it from like jordan and clark and lois's perspective we're like we don't even know this girl and you're like risking your entire life for her Mm-hmm. as a viewer that's not as fun because we do kind of want to care for her the way Jonathan does at least a little bit like we want to know her but it could be an intentional choice that we don't know her as well so that we can see it from the family's perspective that's just giving them the benefit of the doubt who mm-hmm. knows if they went that deep with it <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that's a great point that's why I mean when I say it's so conflicting because I get both sides of the argument but it's hard to put that together when you're watching it because we really don't care for Candace in the way that we could if they flesh her out a little bit more that's true that's very true because I care about Sarah I even care about mm-hmm. Aubrey um, and that might have to do with just the lightness that um, the actress who plays Aubrey brings to the table. I will say, though, that Sarah wanting to get the girl that she kissed at camp at the same table with her boyfriend was a bit of a, it was too much of a stretch for me. I mean, I know Jordan didn't end up going anyway, but that was because of um, having to save Jonathan, not because he was that weirded out about sitting at the table um, that he decided to skip the whole meeting. But I was like, oh. Sarah, not, it would not be I. I would not be at the table, <laughs> like not even at their age. I'm just going to say it. I'm not emotionally invested in Jordan and Sarah's relationship. I like them both individually. Sarah more than Jordan. I think we all know that. Um, but I, I'm just not in it. I feel Am that. I wrong? Am I wrong? It, they, they, <laughs> the magic sort of whoop, 
like after season one, I think it's just because clearly they're going to, as much as he was like, I want to marry her dad. You don't understand. It, Sarah's clearly not on that level as, as Jordan is. She doesn't seem like she likes him. At not, all. not as a boyfriend, not anymore, really. Like it just no. feels like they're together. Mm. And that was one of my gripes at the start of the season. It felt like it changed with that explanation. And I know, I know that the whole Aubrey story is where we're going. We seem to be heading a little bit more in that direction and it'll probably change things up and knowing how dramas usually work. Although we've said the show tends to subvert our expectations. Normally how dramas usually work is that she'll get more attached to Aubrey and grow more distance from Jordan. And then by the end of the season, the status quo will revert back to normal and she'll think, what was I thinking all this time? I could see that happening because like Sarah and Jordan have been set up to be like this heart of the show i don't think season two's done done them justice in that aspect at all at all but i could see them trying to find their way back so that season three can set, now that we know there is a season three can set them back on that kind of like status quo that like the second season's kind of robbed them off i'm interested to see where the whole aubrey story goes but it does feel like they're like stretching these stories out to within an inch of their life both with uh, Jonathan and Candace and now Sarah and Aubrey without actually giving us the, the heart and the burb- or the bones of it if you know what I mean we're just kind of like getting them on the surface and I'd like them to go a bit deeper into both stories I felt the same I think that the issue is that they want to do drama with the brothers when it comes to how they where their position is in the family even though their parents aren't pitting them against each other and neither is their grandfather. But I feel like Jonathan just really feels out in the cold, even though he's not being treated that way. And Jordan really, really wants to step up his game as a potential superboy. But then you have these romances to the side. I mean, in life is like that. You can be very, very focused on one thing to the detriment of another part of your life. I just feel like Sarah's storyline is not quite messing with meshing with Jordan's. And it's becoming more and more obvious the more episodes that come out, the less that they seem to be able to connect about anything. And the more she's being a bit judgy about what he can and cannot handle simply because his family's fine Mm -hmm. in her mind and hers isn't. But it also could just be because Sarah's done and she just hasn't realized that she's done with her relationship with Jordan on a romantic level. So we'll just have to see whether she gets to that um, epiphany. Mm. it's very interesting the way the dynamics have changed this season and that uh, we did mention that maybe they'll get back on track before the end of the season but it what's interesting is maybe sarah will find out i feel like that's why they can't kill that relationship because we we do have that hook of when will sarah find out who his family really is and maybe when she finds it out she'll be like oh hold on a minute you did have all this drama i didn't know about it and then that'll make her see him in a whole new light it sounds a bit surface level when you say it like that but i could see them going down that route because you're right i thought she was quite judgy towards him without actually ever knowing the full story when she knew how like anxiety written he was in season one that was a bit of a like hard pivot to suddenly mm-hmm. change her mind and behave like that in season two someone has to find out this season right i would think i think I mean, at the end of the season to. okay yeah, I feel like it changed. <laughs> Candace, I can't deal with her. <laughs> I feel like that had changed the dynamic of it. Not Candace, we don't need that. She'd take the secret off screen and never show up ever again. But the fact is, someone like Sarah fighting that would definitely like switch the dynamic up a little bit. What if it was Lucy? Because I'm not quite sure that Lucy knows that Clark is Superman. Like, at all. Yeah, I know. I'm not she sure either. I, I don't know. I don't think so because, like, that would suggest Ali would know, yeah, would know, and I don't think Ali does know. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's something that we're 
being led into believing. I know obviously on uh, when Lucy was on Supergirl, uh, she did find out she knew about James's close relationship with uh, Clark and Kara, but I never, I, she found out Kara was Supergirl, but I don't know if she ever found out Clark was Superman. That was never referenced. And I know Crisis has kind of rewritten things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that dynamic was like, because this Lucy seems to have been really close to the cats before this all went wrong. So can she get back there? What does she actually know? Speaking of Lucy, she needs to not. Like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) First she's dead, then she's alive and nice. And then she's like, JK, I'm going to drug my father and steal his badge. (laughs) I know it kind of came out of nowhere. I genuinely didn't think she was going to show up in that episode. I didn't see her name on the credits, but maybe that was just my, I didn't think she was going to be in that. So then when we saw her, I was like, oh, she's alive. And I was like, wait a minute because she was like trying to I need to go home and just sleep and I was like can dad take me home I was like I don't like where this is going so I kind of seen that coming in the last minute I didn't didn't I was like she she's the reason I have trust issues (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether she's coming or going (laughs) she doesn't either and her okay so if we're gonna talk about weak points her motivation is still not there like I know that she has a hole inside of her and that she just feels like she's found community through um, Ali's whole cult situation. But like, I'm like, Lucy, I don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to get on her mental train. Not because I like, I just want to understand her perspective. And I'm, I'm not getting it. Like, we're okay with Ali drugging people. You're okay with dragging, drugging your father. Like, when, when are we not going to be okay? that's what I want to know. Like when when will we suddenly be like, this is a step too far because apparently everything is on the table right now. Yeah. And I feel like at the start, we kind of did, I did get where she was at the start because it was obviously such like jarring uh, uh, character development compared to what the Lucy we knew in Supergirl have had it all together. So it was quite, it was so unique to see her like need need, need be be like manipulated by uh, Ally. I got that totally, but you're right now. Ali's kind of just crossed the line from like realistic cult like leader into Superman villain. And Lucy hasn't batted that, batted an eyelid like at, at, at that. She's not like, oh, wait a minute, that's wrong. She's like, oh, Ali needs this and Ali needs that. And like Ali's pushing the boundaries, but I'm still going to help her. And I'm like, no, this is exactly what Lois was warning you about. And she hasn't caught on yet. So I know that she, I know the whole point is that she's supposed to be so deeply within this mentality that she doesn't say it. But like now that she started perpetrating the acts on her own family, I'm like, when are you going to say it? I'm just ready for Lois to go off on everyone. Be like, y'all should <laughs> listen to me. I was right. No one listens to me. I've been screaming all this at you guys and no one listens. She <laughs> she'll, she needs to do it and she'll be right. It'll probably be next episode um, based on just, the preview. Just wait for Betsy to kill it. Just wait for it. And she will. I mean... There was one thing, though, from this episode that, you know, I said I had one fear for Superman and Lois, and that was them ever doing a cheating storyline, whether it was Lois or um, Clark. I now have an additional fear, and it's Clark's fault. And it's because he held Lois and he was like, I'm never going anywhere. I'll always be here. And I said, Clark, darn it. someone says that you know they're about to disappear and the person they said it to is about to fall to pieces and I don't want to see Lois hurt like that I know and I feel like the promo has really set us up there Clark really set us up for failure because 
the promo for next week's episode. I believe the last shot was literally you saw the glasses sitting on the table like that there. And as we've seen on Supergirl before, that always suggests that the hero's gone missing in action. Will we ever see them again? Drama, 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 heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. <laughs> like Pearl Lois does not need that in her life right now. So they're going to have to come up with why ever Superman's gone missing. They're going to have to write Clark out of their lives, find an excuse for what happened to him. Why are his glasses sitting on the bedside table when he's supposed to be on assignment in Metropolis? You know what I mean? <laughs> excuses, excuses. So I feel like this episode, I'm really intrigued to see where next week's episode goes because both the synopsis and the promo photos are only saying one thing and the trailer showed a completely different aspect of the story. So usually when that happens, I feel like they're hiding stuff from us and I cannot wait to see what that episode unleashes because that was not the trailer I was expecting when it started. So I can't wait to see what the actual episode has in store for us. Totally ready to cry next Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Just absolutely ready. Um, But moving on to The Flash, Michael, your temperature on the episode better than last week? Well, it's not the hotness, I can tell you that. Um, (laughs) I feel like... uh, I'm in two minds about this episode like I was last week, but I'm more get leaning towards the positive side this week because the hotness who, and he was not called that when he appeared in season four, it still makes me feel weird saying that out loud. Um, he, when he showed up in season four, he was the most one dimensional villain we've ever seen in our lives. And he was basically just a plot device to let Iris use her speed. Iris used her speed beautifully, but it didn't make him a strong villain. Um, And he said, literally, we can quote, he has gone down in history as the villain with the worst tagline in history. Literally, I want my money. That was his motivation. Wait, 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 (laughs) wait. Pause. (laughs) Wait, okay, hold on. (laughs) So you're telling me that's the hotness? That's the tagline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's what he says. Yes. And um, I want oh, my money. Lord. He said it over and over again. And in the episode in season four. Yes. What made him such a bad character was um, uh, he, he was a normal person who suddenly got superpowers. And then he decided to use superpowers to rob banks. And like when the CCPD was trying to stop him, he was like, I don't think so, copper. I'm not leaving till I get my money. And then he like, <laughs> oh then he like heated up with all his fire. Um, and everyone's oh, like, so he has a fire. That's why he's not the hotness. His, exactly. His it's just all around. I'm sorry. I know you guys love the show, but <laughs> I, I'm holding it in. The hotness is so stupid. Um, I'm, pre- I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he used to be called Pyro. I don't know That's where the better. hotness came from. Exactly. I don't what know where the hotness, the hotness came from. Oh I don't know. <laughs> I remember they said the hotness is returning for season eight. I was like, Who's the hotness? The hotness so, doesn't sound like a person. It sounds like the hotness is returning. It's like, oh, they're turning the heat up on season nine or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> it does sound like that. Maybe it has to do with the band that he enjoys. Because what is it? The Lips, which is clearly yeah. Kiss, I think. What? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and <laughs> what's what happening also, on this show? <laughs> what, what made it worse was he was a random dude who got superpowers and tried to rob a bank for the money in season four. And he was arrested wearing that outfit. But the, the, uh, this episode, the reason they all thought he was the perp when he wasn't, the reason they all thought he was the perp was because one of the victim or one of the witnesses said he was wearing a T-shirt with lips on it. And Barry's like, bet you it's him. And I was like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's like anybody could have worn that shirt in the last four years. Why does that mean it's him? Um, but anyway, here's to the positives. Um, 
the hotness has gone down in infamy as one of the worst bad guys the arrow versus ever seen just because he was so one-dimensional and well, then that's a positive <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting there i'm getting there um and then uh okay they decided to reboot the story and do a really deep emotional story by using the most one-dimensional character they've ever had so that on its on its own is a positive because it means there's more to the hotness than the money and uh, <laughs> stop doing that with me <laughs> i'm like um, crying a little on that one <laughs> like just geez. um but anyway, long story short, apparently he had a son. He wanted to look after his son. He was innocent. He served his four years in Iron Heights and he got out. But there was a fire medic killing people who he happened to get into an argument with. So everyone was like, okay, these people are dead and their bodies are burnt. And they just recently argued with the hotness. Clearly it's him. But um, Barry, uh, Barry had an emotion. Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you said they had the argument with the hotness. And I lost it. So I'll just continue. I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about sad things, guys. Um, it was I Barry's... haven't heard a word you said about this guy <laughs> since all of the, the, the money oh. things. <laughs> but keep going, please. Um, but long, long story short, Barry wanted to honor his father who was wrongly in prison. So he believed in the hotness. I can't even say. <laughs> but anyway, Barry was right. The, the the villain, I'm going to call him the villain, was innocent. In the end, he was not the villain. It did take a bit of a turn and Sabrina's live tweet and killed me because I was sitting crying my eyes out at a really nice emotional moment. And then I was like, yeah, no, when you look at it like that, that's pretty off the wall. Um. So, but anyway, the long story short, the fact that an episode of the fashion season eight after last week's gold face ridden episode actually managed to make me feel something. The fact that Barry was felt like the lead character in his own show. The fact that they hark back to Henry Allen, who ha- hasn't obviously been on the show since season two. It all kind of came together for me and felt like a much stronger episode. Yes, there was a lot of on the surface weakness. And that that's just, I've, we've come to expect that from the flash eight seasons in. An, an emotional episode from the Flash eight seasons seasons in is not going to be as good as an episode in season one. That's just that's just the heart of it, the truth of it. But it did have some a lot of season one like qualities, and I also felt like that about the Barry and Kramer stuff last week. So in general, I feel like the show's on the right track. It's a lot of bad things it needs to cut loose, but the fact that they managed to turn the most one-dimensional villain—I'm not going to use his name—into a mildly layered character and Max Adler who plays him did a fantastic job because there wasn't tons to work with. There was something to work with, but he did a great job making me feel it. Um, the son wasn't the most likable character, but I guess through his extenuating circumstances. Um, but in general, it was a solid episode of the flash. I think if a perfect episode of the flash for me that, that just pulled on your emotional cords in season one was a 10, I'd give this one an eight. For me, it was solid. I do see the weaknesses. I do see it went off the wall because we suddenly started, went from an emotional father trying to do right by his son to, oh my God, your anger has stirred magma under the surface and it's going to start exploding all over Central City and Per Keller Frost is going to get roasted alive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't. But, but all in all, it was another solid episode of The Flash and I was very critical of season seven, but season eight is mostly Armageddon was perfect, but we're not in Armageddon anymore. These last three episodes, there's been more good than bad about them. Last week was more of a mixed bag, but other than that, it's still on a solid track. We'll never have the Flash of the old that we did have, but right now we have Flash that's better than what it's been in recent years. 
And I like that. So that episode for me was a win. It was a middling episode for me. So if you would give it an eight, I'd probably give it a seven. I was going to say mom about the magma until we got to this because really it does get ridiculous by the end of this episode. I don't know why we chose to go that direction, but that's the direction that they went. But to to speak on the positives before I talk about the things that um, weren't as strong, uh, I do think it was nice coming off an episode that was as ridiculous as lockdown was in terms of its character balance uh, and tonal balance to have uh, the fire next time, which was connecting Barry to an emotional time because it's his, it's his father's birthday um, and having that connect to the overall storyline. Like I didn't care for um, Harold, which is, is Jacko's son. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacko? Jerko? Jacko. Jacko's son. Um, mainly because if we're going to talk about it, it's, they made uh I'm just gonna call him Birch. They made Birch more like somewhat multidimensional, but then they made his son one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, because he kind of just he just really, really hated him. And we didn't know about this young man prior to this episode. So there was no like there was no sort of um way for us to get connected to him. It was more so only connecting to Birch. Uh so I wasn't really feeling that storyline outside of uh Barry's scene with Joe which felt like season one that really truly felt mm-hmm. like a beautiful scene between Barry and Joe, the likes of which we haven't seen in quite some time because they were allowed to talk about Henry and what he meant to Barry and who he was as a person outside of being um, um, outside of the dark moment in both Barry and his life when he was taken to jail. Uh, other than that, I was mostly paying attention to the Iris storyline because I love when we're at Central City um, Citizen, um, I love that she was being a boss lady and that she was teaching Allegra how to be a good supervisor. Allegra didn't really take the notes that she needed to take. Mm. But um, as far as getting into some investigative reporting, connecting back to the fact that Allegra has been in jail um, and that has affected her worldview and how even having that worldview, she too has a bit of privilege that she did not recognize until speaking to um, a former friend who they both went to jail, but Allegra is, is prospering in a way that her friend is not. And her friend is not because she has not been given the opportunity that Allegra was, mm-hmm. um, that was given. And Ale- it was nice seeing Allegra sort of realize, that, hey, you've been through a lot, but it's also true that you're not moving through the system the way that your friend is moving through the system. Mm. And that and you I should have... recognize that. Yeah. And I said, I think that story had an awful lot of like, Again, I keep saying this surface layer uh, greatness, but not enough work was done beneath that depth. I feel like that story with Allegra, you know, you know, I have not really connected with that character and I really, really wanted to. And I feel like that was something that could have made me connect with that character, her motivation, her uh, desire to tell this other person's story. And then we, that other person was literally a plot device. She never surfaced mm-hmm. at all throughout the rest of the episode. And it became all about Allegra's. I'm going to make my boss happy by doing exactly what she didn't want me to do. And then it became kind of goofy. The iris scene where she kind of told her off, but congratulations her at the same time was golden in that moment iris kind of reminded me of cat grant and that like that firm boss with heart who loved your staff but was like you need to look after everybody this isn't just about you that to me is what iris has been missing because this, the writers have not been giving it to her and when if the writers give iris more stuff like that 
it's what she deserves. It's what she deserved, like in season three. But we're here now, and we're finally starting to say it. So I'm gl- I'm glad uh, Iris kept that story alive for me because I feel like every time Allegra gets a story, it's turned into something goofy or lighthearted. And I feel like they could be doing more with that character. And for me, Iris was Iris was the bit shining light in that story for me. And I would really like to see more of her being the boss lady of CCC Media. Mm-hmm. I just think she's great. She's amazing, and that's why I wish. Um, Allegra as a character would rise more to her level. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I know that we're supposed to be seeing the contrast of how um, Iris works as a boss, um, giving you both the positives of what you've been doing and the negatives, like taking you to task for not doing the things she told you to do. But like when Allegra went to go apologize to that uh, staff writer who was supposed to be, um, that's the person that she supervises. It felt like a discussion between two employees. Like it did not feel like a discussion between um, someone, someone with their supervisor. And it's because she hasn't risen to the level of uh, maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess professional development that she needs. I mean, I was tweeting that she needed to get onto LinkedIn learning or like Skillsoft. She needed to get like, take some notes because she needs all of the classes because that discussion should not have happened the way that it happened. And she did not carry herself like a supervisor at all. No, no. And I, I think that's done now so that that, whoever that person is, I can't remember her name. I don't think enough's been done with that character who, who said that to her, that employee. I think that's been done so that can come up later. And you're like, but if this was the real world, Allegra would just simply have told Iris that and the problem would have been dealt with. But the fact is, you're right, they talk to each other like equals. And of course, it's important to talk to everyone like they're equals. But that person showed Allegra no respect because Allegra hasn't really risen to that status as supervisor. And I feel like if she'd been given the attention that she needed properly, she would have done that by now. Yeah, to, to Luke, you in read what happened was they were supposed to do a puff piece about an influencer. And Allegra did not want to do that piece because she sees um, the central city citizen as the voice of the people. But she has a specific uh, perspective on what the voice of the people is. And um, Iris was saying that we need to get eyes on the site. So that means that we need to do the stories of our hearts, but we also need to do the stories that people are also interested in. And Allegra was like, Mm-mm, I'm going to go interview my friend. And that's what she did. And she left the other employee to handle the uh, influencer piece on her own. And that influencer piece got bumped off the feature on the main site. So, of course, she was very, very upset because it felt like Allegra stabbed her in the back. And technically, that is exactly what Allegra did. She did not act like a supervisor. She did not even really act like a, a team player. And she was, in fact, somewhat rewarded for it because the story that she did was superior to the one that the other writer did. Uh, um, And though Iris did not want to reward her, it was the better piece. And that's just what was going to happen. But she made her go apologize to her fellow writer. And that apology was trash. Not like her way of saying it. You could just tell that she wasn't really that sorry, but that's what happened. She felt, you could tell she felt superior. And that is how she carried herself. And it was just, it did not go well. The girl said that she was going to end her whole career. So it's a, it's uncomfortable at Iris's workplace now. Very uncomfortable. I feel like Iris could use a visit from Fallon Carrington. <laughs> that would solve employees. every problem. Yeah, whip those employees into shape. <laughs> just help I her out. It's so fun. I really want a crossover. I feel like we keep talking about it and manifest it. It'll at least happen in the TV spot. It would be so funny if Fallon like happened to see 
the flash in his suit and just was like looked him up and down and just like walked away like she doesn't <laughs> care <laughs> it's like a superhero whatever <laughs> and i was saying hair flip so like, <laughs> just don't make sure she doesn't get held up by anyone who wants money one more point about the episode um the magma I was so lost and I was so lost because Bear was already right about what was going on, but then the team had to do their own work to then be on the same train as him as seeing that he was right. And then it became lava under Central City exploding because of Birch's anger, which doesn't really make any sense, but Barry's going to do this really cool thing off screen and he's going to save He's going to save everybody in Central City and it's going to be great. And Jacko's going to feel like he is a hero too. And then suddenly Harold is going to like him as a father. They're going to be reunited. And well, not the end of the episode, but happy ending for all. Barry got to see a father and son reunited, even if we don't care about that father and son. This is my problem. Uh, (laughs) You you literally summed it up in that paragraph. It feels like the final act always needs to do too much to wrap up the story as, and that final act was working overtime because I was like, whoa, what is going on here? The dialogue basically did all the work and that should never happen. And it also portrayed Barry like a terrible team leader because Frost was standing there the whole time. Wait, what do I do? Where am I supposed to go? Wait, oh, lava. And so it just (laughs) too much was happening there. And it made, again, put a good character, like potentially great character like Frost down. He didn't advise her of anything. She was standing there not knowing what to do. I literally almost got killed by falling lava and uh, then basically stood while uh, the Flash and uh, Jocko saved the day. And I'm like, what was the point in having her in that scene at all? It just, it felt like everything was happening around her, just like everything was happening around us as we watched it. That final scene and the dialogue in it was working overtime to try to make sure we followed and we weren't following because it was very, we said Superman at Lois was confusing in a good way. This was confusing in a very bad way. Yes, the lava special effects were very impressive, but it didn't make up for the fact that it was very hard to understand why this was all happening. Every time he spoke and got angry and the earthquake started, I thought that was a reference to the real fire meta off screen that we couldn't say. And like, oh no, wait a minute, he's actually getting angrier and he's making the lava beneath the earth's surface, even though he's only in Central City, uh, boil up. And like, are we not reaching here? Would that not make him like the most powerful meta of them all? Why are we not telling that story instead? Too much was happening in that final act. And it was done in a very surface layer. Yeah, everybody goes home happy kind of way. And like, it's great that we never have to think about it too much again, because like thinking about it hurts your head too much happened in that story. And I don't, not sure it was portrayed. It, it was wrapped up in the way it needed to be, because like you said, Barry ended up saving the day off screen. You know, though, I feel like this is a great segue to Riverdale because the flash took the wrong notes. Like, like, I guess the right notes from the wrong show because it cannot do what Riverdale does. Riverdale can be as ridiculous as it wants to be and we can all roll with it. So while we don't know what's going to happen in the next episode with the funeral with Hermione back and um, Veronica dealing with her grief, we do know some extra things about the superpowers, which gave me the freshest of chuckles. Um, and that is because apparently Jughead is Daredevil. Riverdale. The Marvel Comics fan in me was at first like, yes. And then the logical person in me was like, what? This doesn't make sense. But then like, does anything in Riverdale make sense? Um, 
I don't know. I'll roll with it. Like, you know, I'm a fan of Jughead when he's handled right. I'm not sure this superhero vigilante, like whatever, if he gets superpowers storyline will be right for him, but let's see where it goes. Whatever happens to Jughead, we're going to hear about it because <laughs> he likes to complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, we- guys. I tried to be nice to Jughead and I don't like him. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because before he can get the power that like Roberto, uh, Roberto says that he may possibly get, we know we're getting an in-between episode where he like laments the fact that Betty and Archie got powers and he's losing his hearing and why me and I am always driving the short end of the stick and we'll spend like 15 minutes of like Cole getting a monologue where Tabitha has to sit there and listen as he just cries perhaps even in a a hamburger about what's happening unfortunately my prediction is though that I don't think any of these are going to last right like it's part of the spell curse whatever that happened with cheryl and whenever she gets back in her own body i feel like it all is just gonna fall away and they're all gonna be like oh wait it's gonna happen like archie's gonna punch somebody and he's gonna start bleeding (laughs) he's like i'm not superman anymore oh no (laughs) or batty will not sense danger when she needs to you're right it'll come into play when it when they really need it it's 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 interesting because they finally done the super heroic story off the back of Rivervale where that stuff kind of wasn't out there in Rivervale. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It feels like they finally opened that door after they literally just did it in an alternate dimension. I know that was done to maybe make us buy it easier, but you're like, if we've done it already, do we need it now? But then on the other hand, maybe the fact that they've done it now, or it's done it so close to Riverdale, that's a Rivervale, that's exactly the reason. Because if the two things go hand in hand, Roberto said we're going to see them and see that like uh, loom continue to loom over the show. So if we, I do think that gives a shelf life on it because it feels like Rivervale set the season up for the story, whatever it is, in the kind of the same way Armageddon set the Flash season it up. I, I do feel like it'll continue to loom over it, and some of the thoughts, feelings, and uh, themes that were explored in Rivervale will continue to play into this. And. I agree. I think that has to give it a shelf life because by the time season seven comes around, I don't want to see Archie opening the shirt and a big red A on his chest. <laughs> um, so I feel like it. Riverdale's uh, appeal is that it keeps reinventing itself. It's basically the TV version of Madonna. It's got a new look every season. I feel like season six to me, even with superpowers, doesn't look that different to season five yet. So I think feel like the superpowers will take it in that next step. But in order to reboot itself one more time for season seven, I do think they'll probably need to let the superpowers go whenever that is. I've seen a lot of critique of, or criticism, I would say, because critique implies that it's um, productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of criticism on Twitter of the direction the season is going in, just from people that don't even watch the show. They're like, oh, they're doing superpowers now. How does that happen? It's like, well it's not completely out of the realm of possibility for this show. Like, like, why not? Like, who cares? <laughs> I say that a lot. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Obviously a lot of people think that care and think that it's not a good idea, but like, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting direction to go in and it's obviously not going to last because when has anything really lasted on this show? Not in a bad way, just like they keep going through genres, but I guess that's, I'll get to that in my roast of Twitter. <laughs> I think it's fun. Um, like that's the thing about Riverdale. Like as ridiculous as it is, it also is incredibly fun um, and off the wall. I mean, I don't think anyone is truly watching 
Riverdale for, um, it's not prestige television. Like that's not what you're going to Riverdale for. Sometimes even the, um, the plots don't really connect the dots the way that they need to be connected. And that is okay because they've already conditioned everybody who's been watching for a while not to expect everything to connect, just enjoy the ride. My question though, is whether or not that means that like people who found out about the powers will now tune in because the ratings were quite, they were a yikes. Uh, there's the series low for them. Was it 250,000 people tuned yeah, in? Yeah, you had a, and I told you so moment, <laughs> you knew <laughs> Riverdale Sundays wasn't the move. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, to be fair to, I think no one should judge until we at least get three episodes in to this this arc and i say that because they the, the five episode of a rail event happened in the fall then they're supposed to come back on what march 6th then they got moved um to march 20th it's a whole like they they came on on the tuesdays now they're on sundays it's just it got moved so many times that people have to be able to know that riverdale's back on and i know care that it's back on and i think some people will just to see what these powers are yeah, it, it got moved too much. And like we've talked about this, the whole like era of network TV is on its way out because of streaming. So on the night rating shouldn't matter as much anymore. They will continue to at least for a little while longer. But at the end of the day, people need to know when their show is on and when they're watching it. And that show got moved twice within five episodes. And like, how are people supposed to keep up with that? Because it got moved. It's only aired six episodes in nearly six months. And most of them have been on different nights than any of the usual Riverdale nights. And the fact that Rivervale was in the 10 p- or 9 p.m. slot, excuse me, um, after The Flash and got some of the lower ratings. And then the most recent episode was moved back to Sunday night in the earlier slot and still managed to get lower than that. I can't see why those alarm bells and worries are starting to go off. But I know what you mean in general. I think we should wait a little bit longer because like I said, like you said, like we all said, how is anyone supposed to know when the show's on if it keeps getting moved around so much? Very true. So we'll have to wait to see what, whether or not opinions change. But Reed, you said that you have a roast that is all about people's opinions. (laughs) I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know this? The vibe on Twitter is very bad. Did you know that? I'm shocked to find that out, actually. It's new information to me. It's time to close. But in all seriousness, the energy is just so bad. Like, it's so bad. And it's from all corners of the internet, but mostly, like, centered around TV shows. Um, I just think we should all give each other a little bit more grace in our opinions. And our we're just all trying to watch shows and listen to music and enjoy those things. It doesn't always have to be so serious. So just a PSA to Twitter. And mostly Riverdale fans. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I want you to take that to heart um, because it isn't that serious, you guys. Like at fun. all. It is You're supposed to fun. enjoy watching TV and listening to music. And it doesn't have to all be about ratings and numbers and which ship is in this episode and who gets a one-on-one scene. This isn't The Bachelor. It's, you know, these are TV shows. The writers are doing the best that they can. It's been a really weird year to get around all of these obstacles that we don't even know what, how it goes into behind the scenes. And that's not even the biggest struggle in the world right now. 
but it's still they're making these shows for us and it there doesn't need to be um fights on twitter about ships we can just talk and discuss kindly yes. it doesn't need to be a thing tv's more fun when you yeah exactly like, tv's more fun when you turn your mind off so turn your phone off as well don't feel <laughs> to be mean to other people yeah just talk about what you love and ignore what you hate yes but we do want to uplift a fandom though yes um and that is our toast this week it's the drew crew you guys did it like the season four i mean yes it's because of the cast and the crew and the story that they put together but it is also because you guys were so loud on twitter like so loud and supportive and loving and getting people to engage with your show with with whatever ships that you enjoy i see you nancy and ace fans y'all are everywhere um it makes anybody who hasn't watched nancy drew sort of you know want to catch up like yeah. get on the train get get on board become one of the drew crew when their girl needed them most they showed up that's adm- that's admirable but yeah i can finally watch nancy drew now because un- under the advice advice advisement advice advisement advice of my co-host here i told them i was like you know i kind of want to watch nancy drew and i was like but i don't know i don't want to start watching it and then because i have a history of starting shows and then they immediately get canceled <laughs> so they were like maybe you wait until the renewal comes through so now that it's renewed i feel like i don't i'm not going to get it canceled now so but if it if it, season four is the last season, don't come for me. I'm just trying to support your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess by the fall, perhaps we'll all be a part of the Drew Crew, and it'll be Maybe. like a, a that's Nancy a nice Drew thing segment. to work towards. Yes, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yes, let's go to Nancy Drew Twitter. It seems like it's nicer there. It does seem like it it's does. nicer there. Nicer there. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess that's something to manifest it for us, you guys. <laughs> like, like we should just have like a whole Drew Crew episode at some point. I don't know. No promises, but it's a thought. Uh, yes. But that is it for this episode, which went a little off the rails. But that is because of the hotness. That is not our fault. Um, <laughs> but thank you for tuning in we'll be back next monday with a whole new episode um follow us on twitter and on youtube we are the cw spiral i'm sabrina i'm michael and i'm reed bye y'all and be kind please yes retweet (laughs) what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.